what I'm asking you to be is incrementally better than you were last week. That's the only judgment you need on anything is that you are incrementally better than you were last week because that's how you improve performance. Don't want any, any artificial uh, metrics against something that's just really good. Just compare yourself with you. But what I'm expecting you to do is, is be better. So I want more. And that's what I will demand of you. You do more. And of course, that's when you see people just get it. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. Today, I am talking to and learning from Floyd Woodrow. So 18, not a sparkling academic career at school, but decides that he wants to test himself. Always been quite good at sport, decides to join the parachute regiment. So at 18, joins the Paris. Age 22, decides that he needs a bigger challenge. So signs up to join the SAS and at 22 joins the SAS and then spends 20 odd years there and finishes as a major. Ran selection for the SAS, was on active duty in Northern Ireland and Bosnia and Afghanistan and Iraq, got shot at, shot at people. So I have a great conversation with Floyd. He's got a fantastic book out, The Warrior, The Strategist and You. He's got a lovely concept of pulling together a North Star and a compass. So what is your purpose? What is your super North Star? And then using a compass where each of the points on the compass, the four cardinals of a compass, are the things that you need to have in balance so that the compass is pointing towards your super North Star. So we bounce around a little bit. We talk about mindset. We talk about, uh, he's got, at one point, he just gives you probably in about 30 seconds what you need to do to be an amazing salesperson just sums it up very pithily. So I had a fantastic conversation with Floyd. I'm sure you'll love our conversation as well. So my name is Floyd Woodrow. My background was military. I spent four years with the parachute regiment, 23 years in the special air service. I got to, I got towards not the end of my military career, um, but where I just decided I wasn't growing anymore. So I went into business in 2008. I run a number of different companies, but my love has always been coaching and development and I set up my coaching and development um, company in 2008. Uh, and that's probably one of the things that I absolutely love doing. Uh, but I balance it up with a bit of business in other areas. And you've written a few books. Your latest one is out. Are they all on the same theme? A large number are on coaching and development and leadership, for sure. And then I've got a novel out called Jesse, which, again, talks about a journey and development. And Jesse's a girl called a girl. Um, the book's called Guardians of the Compass. And of course, there's an element of the work that I do within it. Um, but I'm writing fiction, I've always enjoyed doing anyway. And I've got on my next book with Jesse. Um, so there's loads of different things I enjoy doing. I just think the, 
I think um, Toffler says that the purpose of writing is just clarifies your thoughts. And I actually believe that. I think when you start to write things down and you look at your thoughts, and I always talk about when, as you know, having a super North Star, I think when you can picture those things and focus on them, writing them down is really important because your signature, your writing is like a, a DNA code, isn't it? It's unusual. It's different for every person. Therefore, I think that becomes a much more profound way of putting messages across. And you have to, you do have to simplify it. And when you're writing it down for other people, it forces you to confront ambiguities, doesn't it? That you, you know, in your head, you're not aware that there's an ambiguity and then you go to put it to paper and you realize you can't quite tease out the idea that somehow it seemed clear before you tried to write it down and now you try and write it down and you realize actually it's not as clear as you thought it was. I think that's really true. I also think that's why teaching is good. I think when you're teaching your subject to somebody else, coaching your subject to someone else, that's when you really get clarity because it just will not come out correctly. If you don't simplify it and connect and adjust to your audience, then your message will be lost. So I think that helps as well. In your latest book, The Warrior, The Strategist and You, I think you quote Confucius. I didn't know who it was. I got the essence of it before because it's like, it's the concept of teaching in hospitals, you know, see one, do one, teach one. And you've got a quote from Confucius in there, which is, you know, effectively that. And it's that until you try and teach somebody to do it, you just don't get the... You're right, because the key thing for me in all training, that's one of those great things, is you, you just grow from, from coaching and development, definitely. So, but I'm intrigued. So 18, you think, I think I'll join the parachute regiment. Were you crap at school? Um, no, I wasn't actually. I think the key thing for me was it wasn't to do that. I was good at sport and I was good uh, intellectually, but I wasn't pushed. So I think for me, the key thing was, was again about potential. I mean, what I was able to do was coast and cruise because rather than put me up to the top set, they let me coast to the set beneath that. So therefore, I didn't have to be particularly good because I was always going to be better than most people in my class. Um, so therefore, it just meant that I just didn't grow. And so that, you know, there you are at 18. And but you didn't think I'm going to go and become an officer. It was just, I'm going to join the army. No, I wanted to join the paras and yeah, it was, it was being an officer didn't come into my mind that it was being a soldier and joining the paras was a natural lead into the special air service. And I also wanted to test myself. I think the key thing there was, it's just a straightforward, let's see how good you are physically and mentally. That's probably the best unit to start off with. And then of course you've got to see if you want to join the next one, then you need that kind of experience and, and skill set. 22 SAS. Yeah. I don't know whether this is even a thing, but do you pass first time? Do you, if you don't pass first time, do you get to go back again or what is it one and done? No, no, no. You get, um, you do get probably two shots at it. I mean, three on occasion, depending on the circumstances, but generally you get two. Um, it's tough to come back anyway. It is tough. If you don't pass first time, the second time is tough. Um, without a doubt, especially if you go quite far through the training, um, cause it's six months. So first of all, let's say you fail, you won't be on the next course. So then you've got to start prepping and getting ready. Then you start again, and that's another six months minimum. So the block of time in between that can be anything from 18 months to two years. And it's a tough course. So you have to be really meant, I mean, the people that come back and do it a second time, I think is phenomenal. Um, but also there are opportunities to come back again, but it just depends on the circumstances of why you fail. So six months to see whether you get in and you get in at 22 first time you get in first time i go in first time yes and then you were 22 years did you say 
23. <laughs> I had somebody, still a, a, a serving member of the army round last weekend. Our daughters go to the same school. And he said the best thing about being in the army is he never had to make a career decision. Is that, except when you leave. It's an interesting one. I, I would say it is interesting. I think you, your career decision is that you're in the military and you're going to do a number of different jobs within it. So I would say your career decision is, is an interesting one. When you make the transition to leave, that's a big decision because you're in a safe environment. I think what he was probably trying to say is in a, safe, a safer environment to a degree, and I would probably agree with that. I think you are in a safer environment, but I, I think it also just depends on the types of roles you're doing. And for me, I'd have to turn around and go, actually, each time you go into a different level, you're taking on more complexity, more ambiguity, and you're put in some pretty difficult circumstances. So all the way through my entire career, I was either on operations in different environments. So your career choice is simple. Am I going to go and fight in these different environments or am I going to leave? So there's, there's a number of things there that I would say you do make, make big choices on. Um, and of course, you've got to look at how far you want to go in each of those, those areas because you could go in and just coast and stay at whatever level you want. Or you could say, I'm actually going to go and do some other skill sets and move further and further up the ranks, become more and more responsible, taking on more, again, more complexity. And I think that's an interesting, it'd be an interesting discussion. And so you, you ended up major in the SAS? Yeah, I ended up as a major. And you, you also took some other qualifications while you were in the army, didn't you? Yeah, so I studied law, I studied psychology, I've done languages and lots of, other, lots of other things, simply because it was about growth for me. It was about doing where you can grow and you can develop. And is, is 22 years in the SAS, is that, is that a long time to be in the SAS? Yeah, it's a long time. There's still, there's lots of people that come close or sometimes there are people that surpass that, but, but that's probably because of my youth when I joined. Okay. Gave you an av, gave you an advantage. It gave me an advantage, but I could have still been in now. So I could have still stayed, even though I came out um, in 2008, I could have still been in there now. I mean, there was no reason why I would not stay. Um, or indeed, as I said, probably still have another couple of years left. So I could have done that. But the thing was, I think it was about, for me, growth and development, just learning that I'd done all the good jobs. I'd been really fortunate. Therefore, it was about stepping into a different environment. Where did you go on operations? Is it a secret or you can you, can you tell us? So I've been to Northern Ireland. I've been to Bosnia. I've been to Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, so, yeah, numerous different places. Spend time shooting at people and being shot at? Or did you lead a charmed life? That's the, the nature of the job. Uh, and you're always going to be involved in those situations where you're in. I mean, I, don't, I think it's very rare now, not just in the Special Air Service, but military personnel across the board have been in so many different battles that it's not, um, it's just one of those things that everybody will have gone through at one stage or another. But yeah, I was involved in a number of different um, incidents. It felt as though, as I was growing up, there was a sort of a time when you felt as though the British Army wasn't actively fighting anybody. But that probably is just my lack of awareness. Yeah, it was, there was more of a rare occasion. I mean, obviously, Northern Ireland was throughout your time. So Northern Ireland yeah. conflict completely. So when you went across there, that was a really good training ground as well as being operational because you still had to be on point. People, soldiers were still dying. Yeah, and There was mass bombings here, there and everywhere. So when you're in those environments, um, you have to be you know, exceptionally good and exceptionally aware. You know, you, you, we were, we've always we've been at war since 1969, I think, other than, other than it's the odd year when we've not been in conflict, um, but not to the degree we were 
obviously in Bosnia, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, one and two, that's taken it to another level where the majority of the army were at war at one stage or another. Yeah. What were your special qualities that meant that you got a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment and success from being in the army? I would say that it's probably the fulfillment you get is the job that you're doing. You actually are doing something that is phenomenally good. I mean, the best environment I've worked in is peacekeeping because you go in as a soldier that is aware of the situation. You are combat trained, so you're aware of the difficulties of operating in these environments, but you're there in a peacekeeping role, which is where you can have mass effect because our ability to negotiate, um, to come across as being credible, um, to be able to influence warlords or people that are in a difficult situation themselves is, is really, really profound. You, you actually can have significant impact and save people's lives. Um, also, you know, being, being involved in, in operations where you can yeah, prevent things from happening, again, it's, it's significant. The counter-terrorist rules, all of those things are really important. But I'd also say that the, the key skill for me would be that I am, I'm very good at practicing things. I'm very good at persevering. And I think those are key qualities in any soldier. Well, what's interesting is the first thing you reach to links back to, as you say, that this sort of super North Star, you know, that sort of drive, that purpose, because you, you immediately said, you know, making a difference and saving lives. And so, you know, that, I guess at some point then your purpose takes you out of the army. What was it that you learned in the army that you thought you wanted to keep delivering, keep teaching? The thing I learned in the army that was about performance. So for me... There's no two ways. I've seen some super, super talented people. I've also seen people make mistakes, and I've seen people be trained in one way, and I've seen people be trained in a better way. And so for me, coaching and development and getting people to perform at the highest levels was significant because obviously it mattered quite significantly when you're in the special air service that people are trained at the appropriate levels. And more importantly, that training is ceaseless. So that pursuit of excellence is one of the tenets of the special air service. But so for me, it's really important that you don't ever lose sight, that you still need to be training and you still need to be keeping yourself physically and mentally alert and developing, growing, growth mindset, classic, classic thing. And then to go out into industry and to work, I've been fortunate, I've worked with probably every sector in industry. I've worked with sports teams from across the board. I've worked with military again, and I've worked with you know, large, you know, large um, parts of the educational system. And for me, performance doesn't change. Getting that, being able to unlock people's potential is without doubt probably one of the most important things for me. And so one element is that North Star, the purpose. So know, know your why, know why for the organization. You've got your model as a, as a compass. What are the other elements of your, your model then? The bottom line is that purpose, that investment, the why we're doing something is fundamental. Without it, actually, you'll meander. That gives you clear direction. And that's for you as an individual team organization. What, what does it look? What are we looking to get to? Really important. But then you've got to have a strategy. So the bottom line then is you have to be ruthless on where you are today and just be logical. How far away is that? To get to that level, is it a year away? Is it five, 10 years away? And so breaking it down into steps, clear milestones, massively important. But also being, again, the classic realistic, all the all those lovely tweet things that most management groups would say, but actually they're fundamental. What are we trying to do with analysis, but without emotion? So for me, what I'm really good at is I can remove emotion when I'm making decisions till the last minute um, and just make sure, yeah, this is the right step. And then values comes into place, the East Cardinal's values, and that's team code of conduct. How are we going to operate together? 
what values do I need to exhibit and, and deliver on? And that's ethical intelligence. And then warrior, which is now step into the battle and then go, go forward and see what happens. That's resilience, mental and physical. So once you, once you align a compass and it's in equilibrium, you'll be difficult to beat. But if you can't articulate the four cardinals, I just think that's a difficult journey then, isn't it? It, it is. And, and I think it, so often I'm working with clients and, and I say, you know, why does this business exist? And, they, and, I, and I say, no, no, that's what you do. And they try again and they go, no, that's how you do it. Like, come on, why? You know, why do you exist? And people find it really, really difficult to, I, I think sometimes it's easy. You know, we do work with some, uh, some companies in education and for them, it, actually it is really easy, you know, or uh, we work with some bits of the NHS and again, you know, saving lives is is quite easy but then we look beneath that and say like so why are you here right you're probably actually as an executive in the nhs making a personal sacrifice to work in the nhs so like why is that important to you but the the brutal truth which is what jim collins calls your unemotional strategic review i think people find that really hard almost even harder than purpose because they sort of say well this is where we want to be or this is where we could be in three to five years time and then they're not really brutally honest about their performance, the team's performance, their strategic, you know, where they sit in the marketplace. So how do you get people to be ruthless or, or brutal? For me, once I've defined it, I need to know that the first thing I'm listening for is are they authentic? So when they talk about what the super North star looks like, I've got to believe that they actually, not just the logical side, this is what I think, I feel that this is what's going to happen. You can sense that authenticity or that genuineness. And I can hear it in somebody's voice. I can hear it in their, in, their, in their body, I can see it in their body language. So I think that's really important. Let's be really clear, we all see it. Same with any team. Can I want to know is, can you all see that? Does the team point in the same direction? Because all I say is, if you're not pointing in the same direction, that's fine, it's just not your super North star. You might need a different one. So let's be clear on what this looks like. And then when I look at strategy, all I'm looking at then is the first thing is, so what are the, and I just go straight away, what are the five to seven things you have to address no emotion, what are the five to seven things you will have to address if you're even going to get close. And I just wait, wait until we get, and they'll come up with seven or eight. I go, okay, give me five. So what are the five priorities? And again, I, I just wait to make sure they're significant priorities. And we, we, I'll play and wait until I get you know, something fundamental, which is, is it the right team? Do we have the right product? Where is our place? In them? I mean, so what, what do we need to do to address those? And then we start to build from there. Then we start to build, and I can, you know, I've got maps now from in Mandarin, in Arabic, in Portuguese that just have people that are really now clear on breaking that journey down into what the stages they require from talent management of succession planning, from getting this is all the realities. Do we have the right product? That innovation, um, are we going to get ahead of the competition? Then all of a sudden you go, great, now let's just put it into the right time frames, and who's accountable for that? So again, accountability being the real key thing. So next three to four months, tell me what we tell me what we'll have achieved in four months' time. And what I want is total delivery. So that's where you're going. That's the first milestone. Four months, what will you have delivered on? And who's responsible? And more importantly, one person responsible. So I don't want five people responsible for it. I want one person responsible. They can use as many people as they want, but in four months we're going to come back and I expect all of this to be delivered then it means something, then it's serious, and then you can start to really move forward. But then feedback is also really important here. 
Because a key thing for me is, is getting teams to realize that what I need now is total analysis on where are you world-class, where do you need to improve as a team. And once you start to get that feedback out, then all of a sudden, and people are going to deliver and be accountable, I just think that you start to create a high support, high challenge environment where, yeah, let's look after each other, but let's also challenge each other to raise our game. And I think that's when you start to, that's when the strategy, the strategic intent starts to come down. Because I'll know straight away, if you don't do anything in four months, just go, well, that was a good day, wasn't it? We had a great day out, but ultimately. <laughs> Floyd, nice bloke. You know, nice bloke, really good, but we didn't do anything with it. Then fair enough, that's, that's fine. That's your, that's your super North star. That's just one of those things. You'll get there eventually, I have no doubt, but it won't be in, a, it won't be in the line you just, you want to do. It will be in a number of days, a number of weeks, a number of months later. Yes, or, or never. You just said you wanted to do it, but really you didn't. No, and again, I, it's not about being good. I mean, I, you know, I just said, look, you probably wouldn't have me in the room if you weren't good. I don't, I'm not even ask, asking you about being good. I'm asking you about, do you want to go to another level, which is an elite level, which means they're good even on their worst day. I said, there's a difference. I said, it's, I, I said, I work with sports, and I usually say this. Look, I work with teams, and I can say, do you want to be number one in the world, or do you want to be number five? And actually, there's just a difference. If you want to be five and enjoy playing sport, and you get some money, and it'll all be good, but you won't win anything. That's fine. Uh, again, I'm not uh, for me. I, you'll have a great life. It'd be great, enjoyable. But the minute you say number one, I'll go. Yeah, that's fine. That's a different level. Of Maybe this is just the way I see the world. But is it even possible to aim to be number five? No. What I want to do, <laughs> I'm just being a little bit more challenging. But what I'd say is, I can still say I could tell you what a mentality looks like for number five, though, because I can watch it in training. So I literally can go. Look, you you walk off at one o'clock to go and play Xbox, you're number five in the world as far as I'm concerned. If I see you on the pitch till three, doing some extra work and extra drills and extra procedures, then I kind of think that's a different mentality. And that's not just as an individual, that's as a team. Then I'll say that that's a different level. But I, I can spot it instantly. I, can, I, can, I don't have to be around people for long um, to tell you whether or not that's a number one mentality or it's a number five mentality. How many, I don't know, pick a team. How many, how many wrongings on a team to ruin a team? One can do it. One person can do it. If they're senior enough or influential enough, one person can take a team down. Hmm. People then find it hard, don't they? The phrase I use, a seven can kill your business. And interestingly enough, when you were doing your talk, you said to people, you're not allowed to pick a seven. Why don't you, you say on a scale of one to 10, do this, but why not pick a seven? Why? Is that the same reason I think sevens kill a business? Well, it is, yeah, because you actually, well, again, you're right. If you, you're, what you're saying, the principle is, is absolutely correct, and, I, and I, I buy into that. The reason I say one can destroy it, because an influential player, an influential person can be so destructive in any team. However, you're right, with the right balance, you can maybe override that. The reason you can't use seven is it's just a get-out-of-jail-free card, isn't it? It's like, I'm not really good, but I'm not really bad, so I'll just stay safe. Whereas if I force you into it, tell me you're an 8, 9, or 10, because I kind of know what that looks like. I also know what six looks like, and there's two different numbers. So if you're going to put back yourself to be an eight, nine, or ten, great, because that's a different number to six. It forces you to get off the fence. I never allow the number seven on anything ever. <laughs> I thought that was really good. I might, I'll steal it with uh, with attribution. Steal it with pride, always. Very good. And so one of the other things that you haven't mentioned so far, but I suspect is. You know, were you the were you the fittest guy at 22 in your squad, or you know, is it is there a mindset? Are there people who finish the SAS training? Is it is it mindset? Do you if you got no pain receptors or no? It's not that. What I'd say is I was very very fit, but actually at 22, 
uh, when I was on the course, I wasn't in the top 10 or top 20% or top 30% because they're just bigger, they're stronger, they're more experienced. So as a 23-year-old, the average age of passing selections is about 28, 29. Okay. So they're just bigger and stronger people. Um, so it takes a bit of time before you will grow into being that kind of a person. So I was selected on potential. I have no doubt I was selected on my potential. Um, it doesn't mean I, I wasn't fit. and I wasn't, in the, I wasn't by the end coming close to the top end. But I think that just comes with, again, that mentality that I, didn't, I would never have given up. The only way I was coming off this course was if somebody deselected me. I was always going to pass the things or try to pass the things. It would be down to them saying I wasn't the right type of person. So I think the, um, the, it's the attitude of, of making sure you're in the game but then I just think it's the consistency in staying in the game by making sure that I still train really hard today. I still do an awful lot of work to keep physically fit and mentally fit. Um, I put myself in the pressure zone often. Um, so I think that's the other key element is it's your consistency in approach that also means that you've got longevity or yeah, the ability to perform at a high level for a long time. I also think the thing that you said there, which I think is probably not true of most business teams is practice or train. I see sales teams all the time practicing on, you know, the company's paid money to generate a lead, the sales team churn it and churn it and churn it. And it's like, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that if you, you wouldn't go and see a doctor and say, look, have you done this operation before? You'd, be like, you'd, you'd really want him to be certified before you, you know, let him cut you open. Whereas in business, it seems that, in lots of roles in organizations, we just, we, we train, we train on customers. Yeah, I agree. Funny if I took a sales team away to do some experiential learning not so long ago, actually. And um, I put them through a proper negotiators course where we, we, we did it for real. It was, it was like a, doing a national negotiators course where you're dealing with hostages and, and really difficult, traumatic situations. And I got the team, the two, the teams together and they, they, I mean, they were talking top VPs from around the world. And of course, they were doing. They, they weren't doing even basic discussions, even basic Google searches, an understanding of the opposition and what they were doing and where they could be. And literally, it was great to take them through some fundamental basic skills. And at the end of the two days, because they were put on point, I mean, they were put put through a you know a really really tough course. But at the end, they just blossomed. They just went, "Why are we not?" I mean, multi million pound deals, and they've not gone through the prep. They've not discussed what they what they're wanting from the meeting. Or indeed, they don't even know the opposition they're against. They don't even know what are they after, what are they looking at, what's, what's, you know, what's their roles. And you can do most of this before you even get in the room. And, of course, that was the problem is that they're losing out because they're not doing some, again, fundamental basic skill sets that you can practice time and time again. And I would, do, I would always do that. I would never even think about going into a negotiation had I not gone through it two or three times beforehand. Just a simple thing about rehearsing. What are your opening lines? What are you going to say to this person? on first meeting. What are you looking to get to from the first meeting? And I've seen people try and close a deal and they've just met a person. What on earth do you think, how do you think you're gonna close a deal at that level for that amount of money when you've not even bothered to understand the person that you're dealing with? I just think <laughs> that's just fundamental mistakes. Yeah, I know. And then you can have a massive impact. Oh, is it, and that's the transformation. Again, these teams, what was brilliant about them, and they're super bright. I mean, that's the, the beauty of it with just some simple tools. They then went on, by the end of the two days, they were dealing with complex, ambiguous situations. I mean, really difficult ones. And they were negotiating as a team. And I said, it's team. It's not one individual. This is about the whole team coming together, supporting, making sure you come up with the right ideas, but letting the person that's fronting it 
um, deliver it really well and listening to the other person. The other key thing I would say is on this particular example, it was the person's giving you gold, but you're not listening to them. You're trying to talk at them. Just listen to what they're saying and they'll give you all the information. And actually, all you have to do is ask the right questions. I just think ask the right questions and shut up and you'll get all the information you need to make a really good really good judgment. And then they'll feel that you've listened to them, you've understood them, and then you're in a much better place to, to move forward. But without rapport, nothing happens. It's incredible, isn't it? Because it, it that you've summed up you've summed up how to sell in about 30 seconds, and then you meet a salesperson. It's like it's like they're trying to reinvent the wheel again and they don't realize that all of this stuff is already already exists. What um you said you keep physically fit and you try and stay mentally fit. What do you do to stay mentally sharp then? Um, I put myself under different pressures. So, I mean, certainly from a physical perspective, it's really easy because I just have challenges that I'll do and things that I need to hit over periods of time. And what I also like to do, again, is just make sure when I'm doing experiential learning or anything like that, I just try to make sure that I'm, I'm the person that's going to try and test out some of the things that we're doing. And so that, so that sales course there, that was a, you're going to put them through a sort of hostage negotiation. You're going to put them in a situation and teach them negotiation skills by negotiating the release of hostages. So they're in a situation they can't possibly ever have been in before. Absolutely. You've got to take them out of their comfort zone that they've never done before, but you can replicate the key themes from what a business deal would look like, obviously, because you've got to make sure it becomes real. But by putting them through crisis, what it means is it affects the mind and the mind thinks it's real. So what I want to do is get to a point where this is not, you're not thinking this is make-believe. You're really trying to negotiate somebody out of that situation. And it could be, again, from trauma or uh, it could be about children. It could be a multitude of different ways. So that the team itself, because you're under pressure, this now becomes real. So you act in the right appropriate manner. You're under the, the same pressure and there are consequences. So without consequences in training, nothing happens. So the consequence of this training is that person in there, if you do not do this correctly, then we'll, we'll be talking that they've just either died or there's something traumatic's happened because there's a consequence for you making a mistake. There's a consequence for losing a multi-million pound deal. There's a consequence for these things because you need to make sure the mind then realizes that, ah, oh, this is serious. Of course, your mind doesn't, once it's thinking in this way, doesn't differentiate between the realness of this or not, especially when you get to the subconscious, you're in a different space then. And because you put them under pressure, then what you get is you get their instinctive response. So then you can go, okay, so this is how they're currently wired. I can see that. Okay, now what we need to do is practice how you might respond differently if you're under pressure again and work on that sort of muscle memory. And also, give, that's right, give them the tools, give them the thoughts, the classic little mnemonics that you would use, the classic thing of realizing that, look, when somebody says something to you, what you need to have already prepped is five answers. Five answers. One, first two you'll throw away. Third one's the key one, backed up by four. And then five doesn't really matter because what you've done is you've got them listening to your ability to overcome any doubts they've had because you've already thought this problem through. I know you wouldn't say that. Therefore, have you thought about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? Confidence. Appear confident even if you don't feel it. You've got that appearance of that. The classic thing on all of this is if I look at you and think, you're in any way nervous or you're, what you're saying doesn't quite – if you're not genuine with this, and I'd still say the same, you have lots of confidence, but if you're not genuine about the subject matter or what you're trying to do, a skilled person will pick that up. 
And so do you develop those immersive training experiences? That's what your firm does? No, it's one of the things that we do. That's part of our training programs. I mean, we do lots of coaching right across the board from one-to-one to teams to organizations. I work with primary schools, secondary schools, kids and sports teams. And we just adapt the Compass program. The Compass program is really good in the sense of the four cardinals give you a, a basic understanding of what are four key aspects of performance. But of course, there's enormous depth to each cardinal. So I can do, again, negotiating skills, influencing skills. I can talk about psychometrics. I can go in really deep on the East Cardinal, as I can on strategy, getting people to think about, let's look at decision making. Let's look at putting that strategic intent under pressure. Let's really look at how you plan and more importantly, communicate that plan. Same with warrior. I can do you know, days on physical resilience, talking about nutrition, sleep, hydration, movement. So there's loads of things you can develop and go quite deep into each cardinal. Because what you're trying to do is give people the ability to realize that for cardinals, whatever you've learned in, in leadership or development, I will fit under a cardinal. So if you look, as you said, you just talked about Collins's books. Well, good to great. I can put under North Star. I can put under strategy. I can put under ethos. I can put under warrior because all his teachings are great. But just go to a, a spot where actually his talk sort of fits here. Kobe's book, Start with the End in Mind, Stupid North Star, Sharpen the Saw, Warrior. So straight away, I can go, look, this is just where it fits. So that more importantly, you can be consistently good. I think the key for me is consistency. But how do I remember all this stuff? I mean, you and I both know we've read probably thousands of books on leadership. I could write on the walls of my study here a million and one great statements, but they don't mean anything unless you put them together in something where how do I take that away and how do I use it? And because, again, for me, what's been great about the work I do, I've done this with five-year-old kids. If you saw me speak to children, you'd go, Floyd, you just spoke to them as you just spoke to a CEO group. I went, yeah, I know, but their answers are even better. Because kids get it. Kids really get the compass. I mean, literally, on a different level. That's the beauty of it. I suppose thinking about your purpose, which of the clients you've worked with over the years have you, I suppose, I've got two questions, so it might be two different clients, where you feel you've had the biggest impact as it pertains to your purpose about having an impact or that you've enjoyed working with the most? Oh, great question, actually. Um, Funny enough, about two minutes before you spoke to me, just as a quick example of something, I spoke to a guy who is working at Leander now, the the rowing club. But before that, I was working at uh, another club. And I went down to speak to them about about the compass. This was about four years ago when we were in the early stages of developing the concept. And uh, another London club, and he said, look, Floyd, what was great was, he said, when we did the compass, he said, we won everything for the next four years because we were all aligned behind the super North star. And because what you did was you got us to realize that we're as good as anybody else and blah, blah, blah. So that's the kind of thing that I love. But if you take, I've just been working with the military and I went to work with a group of people who were in, who would have been probably exited through the army because they weren't doing well. They were struggling in the physical tests and they were struggling in a number of areas. So myself and the team went in to speak to them and to give them some thoughts about their super North Star, getting them to think in a slightly different way. Within a week of us doing that, um, all of them passed their physical fitness tests. They've gone on over the last month to hit all the numbers, and most of them are now going back into training in order to leave uh, and leave and get onto the second stage of, of training within the military. Some of them have changed their super North Star, so they came in with one thing. Now they're, they're, their aspirations have gone up to another level. Because all we're doing is, is allowing them to dream and think, well, that's brilliant. So let's keep that picture because that's the drive. 
Now, what are you going to do on the next session? What do I need to see? We need warrior. We need strategy. And of course, just getting them to think in those simple terms just means you're, you're, you're able to use this phenomenal machine and make it work. So that when it goes, let's stop, you've already spoken, you've already thought through with resilience to think, no, this is just what I knew was going to happen. Therefore, let's keep going another, a little bit further. But the key thing behind this for me is, is I'm not asking everybody to be a superstar. What I'm asking you to be is incrementally better than you were last week. That's the only judgment you need on anything is that you are incrementally better than you were last week because that's how you improve performance. Don't want any, any artificial uh, metrics against somebody that's just really good because that's unfair. And more importantly, that is the happiness thief. Just compare yourself with you. But what I'm expecting you to do is, is be better. So I want more. And that's what I will demand of you. You do more. And of course, that's when you see people just get it and move to a different... And then all of a sudden, they're not just doing bits. This group... One girl who, who um, literally used to cry around every run came at the front and broke a record in one week by 41 seconds. And I said to her, that's not physically possible. In, in, in real terms, that's not physically, physically possible, but it is mentally possible. Because what you've done is nothing changed physically, but what changed was your attitude. And look what happened. You finished smiling. You finished at the front of the group. And... So where did that come from? That didn't come from me. I said, that's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with the team. It was down to your ability to believe. And therefore, let's just take that as one big, massive tick. You may not beat 41 seconds next time, but as long as you beat one or two seconds, that's still a massive improvement on the last time. That's 42 seconds on the last time you did it. So that's all you're after. Oh, fantastic. And that's, that's great, isn't it? Because then that's a win for all of them. It's a win for you. And it's win for the army because they don't need to recruit these people again. And that's coaching. For me, it's just coming back. I'm not doing anything. I'm not driving forward. Anything. I'm just allowing you to get it. That, to me, is the most important thing. Because ultimately, I always say, look, it's not my super north star. I, I, honestly, it's not my super north star. I know what it takes to get there. But all I want you to do is now realize that this is about potential and releasing it. And all you have to do is think, great, I'll be incrementally better. Simple. Fab. So the book, The Warrior, The Strategist, and You, available from where all good books are sold. From Audible as well. Indeed. Um, so what is it you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? Again, to be honest, it would be about good communication. And I think the Eastern Cardinal for me was probably the significant one, really understanding myself. I think you know, that, that drive, determination is all well and good, but I think my ability to communicate effectively is about really understanding yourself. So I think having a better understanding of my emotions has given me a massive edge in, in nearly everything, but also being able to adapt to my communication style and realizing that, you know, you're not the oracle, what you need to do to listen to different individuals. So I would definitely say that ability to listen and realize the hooks and the ability to enhance any plan with the team just means that you're going to be a better leader. And so for me, communication is probably, it's like having a PhD. If I was, if I would say there's one skill to learn at school, it is to communicate well. Fab. And, um, what I mean, we've mentioned a couple of authors and books, but what uh, along the way, what have you found useful or inspirational, or what are you reading at the minute? Oh, I'll give you one. I'll give you one great book, I think, which would be A Man's Search for Meaning, uh, which is by Viktor Frankl. Probably, again, this will tie in with what the Super North Star actually looks like. I think um, The Science of Influence by Caldini. So I think those kind of books, when you're looking at what does it take to have the skills and the strategy? I think those are really important and uh, powerful books that, yeah, will just drive you forward. The Culture Code by Aaron Meyer. 
another great book on understanding differences between groups, um, which I think was you know really really another another great read. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I can send you. I'll probably send you a list of some things. So I think I've got, a, but I've got books for all the cardinals. So I'll send you a load of books on each cardinal that backs up why each of the cardinals work. That will just help anybody looking at it. Why does this things work? Why did this work? Because all the things I've spoken about, there is a science behind every single cardinal. I mean, every single cardinal will just be just just explained why they're important. But when you put them together, it just gives you uh, an enormous resource. Floyd, that's been absolutely brilliant talking to you today. Thanks for coming on. No, not at all. It's been a real pleasure. And um, yeah, I hope we, we get to meet on another occasion. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.